Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what is likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. Now, we've all heard of NATO and G7, but what about BRICS? It's an emerging global group that's starting to get more attention because of one particular member country, Russia. And here to give us the details is Dr. Keith Souter. Keith, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. First things first, what is BRICS and what countries are involved? So BRICS at the moment stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. The term itself was actually coined 20 years ago by Jim O'Neill, who's um, gone on to even greater things. So he was working for Goldman Sachs. And O'Neill argued that these, uh, there, at that time there were only four countries. So there's Brazil, Russia, India and China and they were going to be major economic players. So he talked about this new grouping called BRIC, and the acronym has grown in popularity, and other countries are lobbying to be added to the acronym. Um, So South Africa is now BRIC, so that gives you the S on BRICS. (laughs) So it's Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Um, Korea wanted to join. That'll give you a K for a real BRIC. So uh, Mexico has also wanted to join. And for me, it's an indication of the way in which global politics is changing. Um, As you said in the introduction, um, we're so used to things like NATO, the European Union. These are Western organisations. And in the old days, absolutely, the Western organisations controlled the global economy. But now you've got these emerging superpowers, particularly China, For example, we've recently had the G7 meeting, which is the group of the seven richest countries. Well, they were in the late 1970s when the meeting began, but they're all Western countries plus Japan. China's not a member of it. And yet China is richer than all of those countries except for the United States, and it's very close to the United States. So we've got these weird arrangements which are still very heavily focused on Western priorities But the rest of the world is growing and we're just not paying attention to it. And so for me, the development of BRICS is fascinating because we're looking at an alternative global structure which is being developed, which does not include Western countries. Um, And so we need to keep an eye on this because we're going to find ourselves out in the cold. Are these countries shunning the West, so to speak, in in? participating in this group, is it that they feel they've been ignored or that they haven't been involved in the big summits, you know, G7 and NATO? Well, they certainly feel they're being ignored precisely because they're not included in those groupings. And, of course, none of them is in NATO, which is a North Atlantic Treaty Organisation, which is continuing to expand but doesn't include any of these countries. And each of the countries, I think, uh, have their own, each one has their own agenda but what unites them is a mutual hostility towards the United States or a scepticism of the United States. So if you, if you look at the, the countries that are involved, Brazil is, well, I might just say, by the way, all of those countries have got bigger economies, the big four, than Australia, right? Yeah. So we've got to, yeah. <laughs> that, we shouldn't have delusions of grandeur. So Brazil, 
is clearly the major economy in Latin America, ultimately will be even more of a rival to Australia as a supplier of raw material and foodstuff to the global market. Russia is the energy giant of the world, the carbon uh, giant of the world, and is um, obviously uh, caught up with this conflict with Ukraine. So it's got its own agenda being part of BRICS. So it is motivated by political considerations. India is concerned about economic and social cooperation. It doesn't really want to get involved in politics. India has had this policy of um, neutrality and leader of the non-aligned world. So in the old days of the Cold War, you had a first world, second world, and third world. First world were the United States and their allies, like Australia. Second world was the Soviet Union with its allies. And then the third was the vast bulk of humanity, which said a plague on both your houses, we want to be separate from you. And India was one of the leaders, along with Indonesia, was one of the leaders of that non-aligned community. India still has a lingering interest in being non-aligned. So it it's, um, has been somewhat critical of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but it's a sanctions buster. It continues to trade with Russia. Uh, and, of course, you've then got China as the world's second largest economy, rapidly be getting ready to become the largest economy. Perhaps we're getting ready for a, a war between the United States and China. So that they were the original four. And then in, in recent years, South Africa has been invited. And, of course, South Africa has got a variety of, of issues to deal with, but it is um, a developing country in Africa. It's uh, one of the most important economies in Africa. It rivals that of Nigeria and also what we see um, in some of the East African countries. And at the recent BRICS meeting, China has talked about having Argentina and Iran join. Now, again, what is interesting is that these are two countries that really only united by their contempt for the United States. Iran is in, in open dispute over nuclear weapons. Remember Obama solved the Iranian nuclear crisis, but then Trump scrapped that deal uh, because it was negotiated by Obama. And so we're now back to this rivalry between the United States and Iran and the fear of a nuclear struggle in the Middle East. Argentina um, has resented American influence in Latin America and so would also like to join. India has a problem. Uh, India was able to block those two joining a couple of weeks ago because India is very much concerned that China will dominate BRICS. So 70% of the economic output is actually in China. So it dwarfs India along with the others. And India is very worried that the Chinese are bringing in more pro-Chinese countries, Iran and Argentina, which will then dilute still more the little influence that India has. So you, you've got, the, the, behind all of this, you've got this grand narrative of the struggle between India and China. So although they come together in this BRICS grouping, they're also at each other's throat because of the border disputes between India and China and other struggles that are going on at the moment. It's an incredibly complicated situation. But for us in the Western world, we've got other people creeping up on us and we'll be able to dominate us economically. Yeah, I wanted to ask in terms of the goals of BRICS, is there any chance of them? Because 
speaking of the Russian invasion, you know, a lot of countries have placed sanctions on Russia. Not all of the BRICS nations have, as you mentioned. Uh, what are the chances of these this grouping of nations kind of shunning the West altogether to trade independently amongst each other? Well, I think uh, O'Neill's original expression from 20 years ago is a little too twee. It sounded good, but the countries actually have very little in common. As I say, India and China don't get along. <laughs> um, Brazil is on, on another continent and Russia is the loose cannon on the gun debt. So I'm not sure that those countries could actually coalesce. I find it intriguing that they continue to meet, even though they're not on the best of terms. So I do find it intriguing that we have these countries coming together but at the moment, they're not going to be able to create a, a sort of an equivalent of the European Union or anything like that. Their economies are very different, um, at least in the case of Western Europe. The original idea of the what was then the common market was that you had European countries with a common history of fighting each other. They therefore decided to, first of all, blend together iron and steel, the sinews of war, so that it's now impossible for Germany to attack France because everybody is busy looking after each other's iron and steel, and it's sort of developed out of that iron and steel community. But basically, Western Europe, a common heritage, a common outlook on the world, whereas BRICS are just too diverse. Okay, you can be held together for your mutual concern about America, but I, I'm not sure that that mutual concern provides enough glue to hold them all together. Do they have any common interests aside from the, you know, suspicions of the USA? I don't think so. I think they're they're all interested in getting, obviously, economic development. That's the name of the game. Uh, But in in this world, if you want to have economic development, it needs to trade with the West because that's still where the West, you know, that's where the money is. Um, So I'm not sure that they could actually develop into a a sort of a, a, a common market type arrangement. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. And this week we are discussing BRICS, a grouping of countries that could potentially rival the West, although, Keith, you don't think so given that they can't really come together <laughs> on anything. Now, the meeting uh, has has taken place, this year's meeting. Um, was Vladimir Putin involved? Yes, he was. So Vladimir Putin was on the screen. It was a virtual meeting. Um, the meetings uh, generally, particularly with President Xi, he's been most reluctant to travel outside China since the onset of the COVID pandemic. So he prefers virtual meetings. I think he's now feeling a little more relaxed about in-person meetings, but certainly that BRICS meeting was held virtually. And it's interesting, it's a whole new world of diplomacy now that you don't need to spend quite so much time traveling. I think there's still value in people getting together, getting to know each other, rather than just appearing on screens. But nonetheless, Zoom meetings seem to be the way that a lot of diplomacy is now done. Are there any impacts that could be felt here in Australia if this group's influence expands? Oh, absolutely, because clearly they're a major rival for what we're able to provide the global economy, namely that we also are a supplier of carbon products, coal and food. Um, So countries like Brazil and Russia uh, would would be our competitors. And what China is doing through its Belt and Road Initiative is opening up other countries. So at some point, they're better say to Australia, sorry, we no longer want to buy buying stuff from you. We'll get it now from Brazil 
or from Russia. They don't give us lectures on human rights and honesty and business and all the and ethics and all that. They're just like us here for the trading. Whereas Australians, you know, are bound by certain laws relating to corruption and transparency and accounting, etc. And the Chinese are obviously very bored, but getting these lectures on integrity, etc. So yes, it's going to be a real problem for Australia. We've done very well with our export of raw materials. And it's a further incentive for us to look at how we can redesign our economy, become more service-based. We've done very well with export of education, that we bring students into this country. It's our, until COVID struck, it was our third largest export industry, number one in the case of the state of Victoria. And so we've got to look at what else we can do in terms of developing the service sector, legal services, perhaps accounting, um, We've got a, a huge superannuation industry. Uh, you know, we can be investing overseas. These are the things that we need to be looking at rather than just relying on coal miners and farmers. They've been very helpful to us. And Australia is blessed. You know, we're 26 million people and we grow enough food for 60 million people. So, yes, let's continue to grow more and more food because there'll be a growing demand for it, particularly countries like India and China run into climate problems. So there'll be good market for our food. Perhaps we should be looking at more innovative ways of growing food. Um, there are a lot of things that, that can be done. The problem with Australia is that we've done so well for so long we've become complacent. And the time of greatest danger comes at the time of greatest success. When you sit back and think we've made it. Well, in the world of economics, there's never any period when things are stable. You've always got to be ready for challenges. And that's really what Australia should be doing. But there's no sense of urgency amongst many of the Australian politicians. Do you think the West needs to sit up and pay closer attention to this group and its potential influence? Absolutely. Yeah. And it is very worrying that uh, the BRICS meeting received virtually no attention in the Australian media. The BBC gave it a bit of attention, but not in the Australian media. And clearly it's a gathering that we need to keep our eye on. And there are a number of other gatherings around the world that also need to keep an eye on. One of them that was formed back in 2009 called the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. So that's Russia, China, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Uzbekistan. So they're all the stands running along the bottom of the, of the old Soviet Union. They have had meetings with Iran and India, Pakistan and Mongolia and Brazil the United States wanted to be invited, but they were kept out, which is really a sign of the times that you can get a gathering occurring and America is not automatically a member. Which is interesting. And and yet, like you said, goes against the pale, really, doesn't it, yeah, of yeah. what we're used to. Just looking to wrap us up, Keith, in terms of Russia's involvement in BRICS, uh, and we did touch on it earlier about sanctions that have been put on Russia in the wake of the invasion of Ukraine. Is there any chance that being part of this group could help Russia kind of absolve the impacts of those sanctions by trading with these other countries? Absolutely. Mm. So India and China both see a window of opportunity because the Russians are desperate to find a market for their energy. And so those two countries, in effect, are saying, yes, we'll be a market, but at a reduced rate. Right, great. <laughs> they know that they've got the Russians <laughs> over a barrel, so yeah. to speak, and uh, so they will push to to uh, buy stuff but at a reduced cost. So, yes, India and China are certainly paying close attention 
to all of this. And the real problem for the United States is what are you going to do? Are you getting ready to fight both Russia and China? Are you going to do it simultaneously? You can do one after the other. What is the grand strategy here for uh, President Biden and his successors? For me, you know, I've always thought that China was going to be the major problem, but Russia has pushed itself to the front now through the invasion of Ukraine. So it means that we, the Americans, having been so accustomed to uh, gradually reduce their involvement in Europe, are now finding themselves obliged to get back into European affairs. And, of course, their first president, George Washington, said, keep out of Europe. They're all mad over there. <laughs> Look at how we can build up America. So so this developed the, the notion of isolationism. And that is still important in America today when you look at the toxic political culture in America and what they're arguing over. Uh, you know, we've recently discussed Roe versus Wade. And that's really what occupies the attention of people. Plus, of course, the United States is concerned about inflation um, and the indebtedness of the US government. So Americans got a lot of domestic problems um, and they're big enough an economy that they can almost run on their own. They don't need that much international trade. We are desperate for international trade. The Americans have got a big enough self-sustaining economy. They really are not that fussed about international trade, except that they've allowed their own manufacturing sector to run down and now they are more obliged to be reliant upon China. So you, you've got this basic dilemma. How do you go to war against a major trading partner? <laughs> you don't, hopefully. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Keith, for your insights this week. Very fascinating. Thank you. Listener.